There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, today I'm joined by Jim Knight, who is often on our show. You may know him from his roles at Goal and Perform, um, also often talking about Leicester, obviously, uh, the Craig Shakespeare sacking this week, kind of the big news. A lot of people were waiting for Everton to change their managerial situation, then Leicester somewhat... Uh, out of nowhere, I think, for a lot of neutrals, we're surprised this happened. Um, some tough fixtures. I, I think admirable, admirable losses, if such a thing exists, against Arsenal and Liverpool. Um, then the the two recent draws against Bournemouth and West Brom seem to have been a stretch too far. Uh, do you think this was the, the correct choice? I know last season you had said that one of the issues with keeping him on is he may be on a shorter leash. Yeah, it's... Um... It's long been a belief of mine that the um, management were looking at a bigger name in in the kind of best case scenario. It's just that when they they obviously weren't expecting to have to sack Claudio Ranieri um, after he won the Premier League a couple of years ago. So when they did that, you know, with the club in a, a, a Champions League last sixteen and in a bit of a relegation battle, Craig Shakespeare really stepped up, and I think you know. There's a lot of uh, disappointment around Leicester, both from kind of fans and neutrals, because he was a big part of the last decade of the club. So he was with Nigel Pearson um, in his first reign. And, you know, he's been a big part of the coaching staff um, through thick and thin almost um, in in the 10 years that have followed um, our promotion from League One. So it's you know it's kind of the end of an era even more so than like a Nigel Pearson leaving or or Claudio Ranieri obviously the highs were insane under those guys but you know Shakespeare leaving is kind of the last of the old guard if you like um, so I did feel like he would be on a short leash and I think the fixture computer was a little bit tricky um, to deal with this year for us we well as you said we we did have admirable losses particularly that ding dong game on the first. Friday evening of the season where we were 3-2 up, I think, after 82 minutes at the Emirates. And I used to lose 4-3. Now, if that goes the other way, you know, you might still be in the job. But then, you know, you can say that about a lot of things in football. He, uh, Craig Shakespeare, in this in this case, was, you know, I think he was well-liked by the players relatively. There's a lot of um, player power quotes being banded around saying, these guys got Ranieri sacked, now they've got Shakespeare sacked. I don't think that's necessarily the case this time. I think it's more the fact that the owners did want a bigger name to begin with and kind of felt like they were backed into a corner a little bit where they had to give Shakespeare a more permanent contract. Um, it, I think it was notable they didn't move especially quickly in the summer to give him a new contract. It was quite a while after the end of the season before he got appointed uh, permanently, which I think kind of shows that they weren't necessarily as keen to appoint him as a lot of fans were. So, it's yeah. It, it was. It's been a difficult few months. Um, I think he's done very admirably in the circumstances. The recruitment issues and that kind of thing aren't his 
department. So he can't really carry the can for that, even though a lot of people will point to that as one of the big turning points, um, particularly the last day of the season, uh, the last day of the, the transfer window, sorry, where we let uh, Danny Drinkwater go and didn't get Adrian Silver in in time. So, yeah, he, he carries the can, I think, for a lot of mistakes behind the scenes. And, you know, it doesn't look like the club have got a replacement lined up. It's been a few days now. Um, and there's no kind of forthcoming candidate. So it very, I think it's very much a case of kind of see who we can get now, which never seems like a particularly good plan from a football club's point of view, if you ask me. Yeah, not to get too um, far off on a side topic, but the Adrian Silva news also continues to kind of flow in with uh, FIFA saying it, or sorry, UEFA saying it's your fault, you saying it's not your fault. Um, do, do you put any of that on the manager or do you think that's more of a behind the scenes issue? No, I, I don't put it on Shakespeare. Um, I think it is almost solely down to John Rudkin, who's the director of football, who replaced Steve Walsh when he left, uh, when he left um, Leicester to go to um, Everton to take up the director of football. John Rudkin kind of stepped up to a role that was, um, you know, that director of football level. And he is particularly inexperienced with transfer dealings. Now, that from a scouting point of view is obviously a bit of a, a blow given that Steve Walsh was so adept at getting in players like Riyad Mahrez, he scouted Anthony Knockhart, he scouted Angelo Kante. So they were all on his list um, and he would kind of oversaw those guys coming in from uh, France in, in various depart- uh, various leagues and stuff. And obviously they were super undervalued at the time. You know, even Knockhart was a fantastic servant for us uh, when he joined, um, even though he didn't quite cut it in the Premier League. I think he's shown with Brighton a little bit this year and will show for the rest of the season that he's very, very capable. Um of playing football at the top level. So, yeah, I don't blame Shakespeare at all for the Adrian Silver thing, but obviously as the figurehead of the organisation, as you so often are with a football manager, I think you are um, you're susceptible to things beyond your immediate control. Like it, At Leicester, it's very, very clear that Shakespeare doesn't necessarily make or hasn't, hasn't made the decisions in the same way that I don't think Ranieri did. I think the signings were made, you know, the signings of Christian Fuchs, well, Christian Fuchs was definitely made before Ranieri arrived. But Angelo Kante, you know, they, they're made by these director of football kind of management types now, not managers in, in every case. So the Adrian Silver thing is say continues to rumble on. I think it will just be a blame game until January when we can actually get him on the pitch. Um, I heard someone say the other day, I haven't actually double checked this, but he's taken the squad number 14, which considering the amount of seconds over that we were, um, made me laugh a lot. Um, but it's obviously Angelo Kante's old squad number as well. So he's got a lot to uh, live up to at Leicester when he does kind of finally put the shirt on. Um, but I think that is just, you know, that is the perfect example of the, not chaos, chaos is a hyperbolic word, but of the mismanagement of the behind the scenes issues, which I think has only added to the um, the Craig Shakespeare thing and kind of people lump it all in one is the same. And because like I say, he's the one that does press conferences. So he's the one that kind of gets the ire from the fans when things go wrong. Yeah. And, and I will say there definitely is an on pitch result. Because the reason you were going in for him was to cover in case you did lose drink water, which then you did do. So not only is it kind of a uh, kind of narrative issue, it's also a footballing issue because you were a player down basically um, from the start yeah. of the season. Yeah, we're. I mean, our, our central midfield um, issues have basically led to a lot of our defeats this year. So the, the last two seasons, um, while we do play on the counter-attack and obviously this kind of famed Leicester City style is this kind of counter-attack um, springing from the back very quickly and long balls over the top to the Vardy and Mares, and obviously that's where we hope Ian Acho might step in as well with his speed so 
we, we do play that way. But one thing is that when the opposition have got the ball, we tend to kind of try and at least match them in midfield and try not to get overrun because that's when you come into problems where if you haven't got that strong spine through the team and particularly in the centre of the park where a lot of teams are playing 3-5-2 uh, now with wing-backs. So if you're getting out-muscled and out, uh, outplayed in the park by three central midfielders, you're going to lose the run of the game. And that really is where the problems start coming in for Leicester because we've not had a consistent kind of midfield two this year. Obviously, Drinkwater was around until the end of August. Um, he left. Uh, we've had Wilfred and Didi in there for a little bit. We've had Vincent Ebora, who wasn't fit, but came in in the summer and has kind of got himself fit now. Um, we've had Matty James in there. We've had Andy King in there. So it's been a kind of mismatch and no, there's there's never been a kind of set partnership for any more than a couple of games in the centre of the park. So it has been a real struggle for Shakespeare. And like, I don't envy the job that he had to do because combined with the really difficult fixtures, he was faced with, you know, quite a lot of change this summer, um, particularly um, players kind of coming in and going, particularly Danny Drinkwater and the influence that he had when he left at the end of um, the transfer window. So knowing how influential he is, again, it's just something that kind of adds to the narrative, I guess, because, you know, again, it's not his fault. It wasn't his thing. He obviously lined up, well, with the administration staff, obviously lined up a replacement. It didn't happen. And then he just had to just suck it up and get on with it, essentially. We were obviously hoping the silver thing had come through on appeal, but it looks like that's not going to be the case now. So the next manager is just going to have to deal with that when he comes in as well. Yeah, players that have been able to play for you that perhaps haven't been uh, playing to their standards have been Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez. Fantasy players may think that Vardy was having a great season because he was scoring goals, but as you and I had spoken about off-air, a lot of them coming from penalties. Uh, no shots on target in the last two matches. Obviously, Mahrez does show up in the last match um, before Shakespeare is sacked. Uh, are you expecting more from them? Do, do they just need more service, or are there actually inherent issues uh, in how they're playing at the moment? Yeah, it's the Vardy thing. You're 100 percent right. Like he, I think he does a lot of the hard yards, which automatically make people think. But like in terms of fantasy, he might be a good pick, and obviously he's a very streaky player. He has taken over penalties this year, so his goal stats are very much padded, as you just said, by those kind of penalties. And obviously he missed his last one as well. So, um, you know, he hasn't been quite at the heights of what we expected. Um, I think a lot of this comes down to kind of regression to the mean. I hate to go all kind of money ball on it, but yeah. if you look at the, 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 the year we won the league, there was an incredible overachievement by almost every single member of that squad, bar the likes of Ingolo Kante, who is not uh, world-class as a, a, a term that's been banded around, but for me, he's one of the best defensive midfielders in Europe. Like He is unbelievably good at what he does, and I think he showed his class. The rest of the guys, I think, were playing at such a high level above their kind of mean level, I guess, um, that it was always likely that they were going to regress in the second season and the third season, which is exactly what we're seeing now. And I think that's part of the reason that Mares hasn't moved on. He's a very capable player on his day. The difficulty is for a kind of, you know, the calibre of club he feels he should be playing for, which is the very, very top European elite. He doesn't have enough days to justify... Um, a kind of 30 or 40 million pound fee, which which we were looking for. So it's, I think it's less about kind of them struggling overall. I think it, this is more just finding their level almost. Um, and they're very solid Premier League players. It's just that the way that we won the league has very much ramped up the expectations around the owners, I think, and around the fans to the point where unless you can consistently achieve above what you would normally do, 
you kind of fall victim to that. And, you know, it's a very difficult mindset, I guess, to get into, particularly as a fan. Um, you know, you look at what you have achieved and this is the same thing going on around the country with clubs of Leicester's size or even bigger, where they point to Leicester as a bit of a poster boy now and say, Leicester did it, why can't we? And it's like you, you fail to comprehend quite what an upset that was if you are using that argument. Um, yeah, Leicester did some very good things that year, but all the stars aligned. We were basically able to play the same 11 week in, week out with no injuries, which we've already seen in the last couple of seasons. That's kind of come back to bite us and we've really struggled with that. So I don't think it's necessarily an issue with the way they're playing. I don't know whether it's confidence, like being losing those tight games to big teams, kind of you don't take the positives out of those necessarily, particularly the Arsenal game. You would have come out of that, that Friday night game thinking like it was three points lost um, from the position that we we're in, which is absolutely what it was. So maybe it's just that it needs someone to kind of galvanise the team, make them believe in themselves again and kind of kick on because we're not playing with the swagger that we were even last year um, domestically. So It'll be interesting to see what the, the new manager comes in and does with that because, you know, it, it's not an easy job, I don't think, to pick up those players after what they've achieved and kind of remind them of what they're capable of. Yeah, it's definitely surprising, I think, from an external pers- perspective, but I th- it's a very good point that that whole season, everybody was saying that they had to come back to, to the ground at some point and it just didn't end up happening that year. It's pretty much happened since. Um If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But I think Lesser still have a, a very fun play style, uh, the way that you, you set up to defend and then counter. I, I think Shakespeare brought that back um, after, obviously, it kind of went away under Ranieri during his brief stint at the start of last season. Is that something you're going to be looking for in a coming manager is to maintain the play style you already have or maybe a little bit more innovation from whoever uh, takes over the seat? I don't think it's something we can necessarily change overnight. I think particularly from a manager coming in in the middle of the season, it's going to be very, very difficult to adapt that playing style um, because that's what we're so inherently built to do. Um, The squad is manufactured with that playing style in mind. So in the same way that you often say in a good squad, a deep squad, you should have two players of every position. That's kind of what we've got. Um, You know, some players are 
rotated, but essentially it's the same square pegs in the same square holes. And it's, you know, it's very difficult to necessarily amend that. There's been a lot of calls for like a 3-5-2 um, change uh, with wing-backs and stuff. Maybe that's just because we're conceding so many goals. People feel like that three in midfield would really help. But the, what that does is kind of minimise the chances that the likes of Riyad Mahrez and Damari Gray and Mark Albrighton are going to have. Albrighton can kind of play wing-back and has done before. But if you're thinking about Amarez in that team, in a 3-5-2, you're essentially sacrificing him and the creativity that he brings and Damari Gray and the kind of impact that he brings off the bench um, just to kind of try and show yourself up defensively and play that extra guy in the centre of the park at both defence and midfield. So it's it's a difficult one and I don't see it changing massively because I think the players are very much still of a belief that they can play in that style. Obviously, they know what they can do playing 4-4-2. I think it's more just about a loss of kind of personnel um, in key areas um, and form just not quite running, you know, as hot as it as it was two years ago. Um, and again, that's kind of an argument as to why to give Shakespeare a bit more time, I guess, because the bond was obviously very close there between the players and the manager. And with this group of players who obviously stopped playing for Claudio Ranieri when they did um, last season, there's, you know, there's no guarantee that a new manager is necessarily going to get the immediate buy-in of that group of players. Now, that's modern football for you. And it's, it's a sad thing to say, but ultimately, I don't think anyone's kind of doubting the performance levels immediately shot up after Shakespeare took over. Now, if that is kind of, again, if that's a thing that the players haven't necessarily um, enjoyed, then the new manager has got his work cut out for him because even if he's trying to adhere to that same playing style and you know try and recapture the form of 2014-15, it, it's really, really difficult to um, to kind of bring that back because that you know the players might well feel that kind of the fundamental the fundamental heart of the team has kind of been ripped out a little bit. But I, I suppose it kind of depends who we appoint. It's a difficult question to answer until you know who's coming in because you've got some managers like you know we've been linked with Allardyce, Sam Allardyce, even though he's distanced himself from the job. If he comes in, you can appreciate it's going to be a very pragmatic style of football. Um, kind of relegation saving style of football it's not necessarily going to win you many plaudits but it's a safe choice so you can kind of see why when there's hundreds of millions of pounds on the line in tv revenue you might go down that route but i also think if the owners want to take leicester to the next stage on that footballing pyramid and they want to make us a you know a regular club in europe even if it's the europa league and kind of go far in trophies which is essentially what they've they've said you know a top 10 finish in a trophy this year is the aim then you need someone Potentially, he's going to play a bit more of an expansive style of football, which obviously would be preferred by the fans, I think. Yeah, uh, one of the players you mentioned there, uh, Damari Gray, was sought after by a lot of clubs in the summer, uh, stays at Leicester. I think a lot of people, because of that interest, assumed he would play a really big role in what you were going to do this year, has not thus far. Uh, do you think he is one of your best 11 players and deserves a bit more playing time? Yeah, it's difficult with Damari because he's still so young and like he's uber talented, like one of the most talented players I've seen at Leicester in a long, long time at his age. Um, I think the reason that he doesn't get in the team as much is that immaturity and his kind of final ball and his decision making isn't what it needs to be to hold down a place in the team, especially when he's likely to take the place of Mark Albrighton, who is the complete opposite of, of Damari Gray. Um, he's the polar opposite in the sense of He's a very solid, very dependable winger who will get to the byline and swing the ball in. And it, his final ball is exceptional. Um, you know, he, he's very, very good at crossing the ball in and putting it on someone's head. So 
when you compare him to a Damari Gray, and I can imagine watching training, um, you know, Damari Gray will score a world-class goal and cut in and, and hit the, the, the top corner once in every five or six. But if you're playing against a good elite Premier League team, there's no guarantee he's going to get five or six chances in a game, whereas Mark Albright will get to the byline and hit the crossing that you want the other five out of six times. So it's like, you know, whether you take the dependable option, who's going to do very, very little wrong and kind of get forward, do exactly what you want him to do, or the kind of unknown quantity like Damari Gray. And that's kind of why we've utilised him as a, um, a kind of an impact player, I guess, off the bench, because I think they feel that's how he's best used at the moment to try and get in minutes. But he's struggling to hold down, you know, obviously he's struggling to, to try and get, get game time in that case. And I think he's getting frustrated because he knows what he can do. And, you know, Bournemouth were in for him in the summer um, for, for 25 million at the end of the transfer window. And, you know, I, I guess he kind of looks at that and says, well, that's a good Premier League club where I could go and kind of build my game up every week. And I could probably be assured of 60, 70 minutes starting every game. So I can see both sides of it. We don't want to lose him because he's super talented. And if he develops the way he is developing, he's going to be brilliant. Um but the problem is that you can't necessarily risk him in every game when it means taking all Brighton out. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I know it's uh, kind of up in the air. You mentioned there's no clear favorite internally. Otherwise, hopefully we would have heard something by now. Is there somebody that you think is most likely or that you individually would prefer? There, there genuinely isn't. And I, that's like that's really frustrating because there isn't someone that I look at on the list necessarily and say, yes, definitely that person. I mean, I was looking today um, and the, the two at the front of the bookmaker market at the moment in the UK are Chris Coleman and Sean Dyche. Now, Chris Coleman is a very successful manager of Wales, obviously has kind of reached uncharted territory there, but failed to get them to the World Cup. Um, is, I guess, keen to get back into club management, kind of riding on a high, a uh, relative high. I know he you know, he failed to get them to Russia, but off the back of what they did um, in, in the previous tournament, he'll probably still be quite highly regarded for a job of this stature. Sean Dyche, obviously, was very interested in the Crystal Palace job um, in the summer and is probably frustrated with the lack of money he has to spend at Burnley. He's He's regularly kind of been that person who raises that in um, in the press. So I can completely see the link there, especially with Burnley flying um, at the moment. But again, it's going to be expensive to get him out of Burnley. You know, the compensa- compensation package is going to be quite a big one. Um, and is he the kind of manager that you want in terms of ex- playing expansive football? The Burnley guys play very kind of pragmatic football and they, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. They're, they're, they're cutting their cloth accordingly. But if you're dealing with four or five players that are, uh, you know, on the, the upper end of 80, 90, 100,000 pounds a week, then, you know, I think if it, from an owner's point of view, you'd be expecting a little bit more for your investment than a kind of kind of steady pair of hands. Like They want a big name. And I think that's partly, as I said before, that's why they've got rid of Shakespeare so quickly, because they believe there is a big name who can take Leicester onto that global footballing scene and kind of pioneer it in the same way that Ranieri was a bit of left field choice, but because he'd managed Chelsea and he um, he was a big name around the world, a relatively recognisable name, that's the kind of personality they want. But you look at the guys that are available in that ilk and you're talking about Carlo Ancelotti, who's just left Bayern, who's probably not going to come to Leicester, let's not lie. Um, Manuel Pellegrini is, is there as well. Like, again, managed Manchester City, done great things for them, even though he might not have been 
the, the, the most popular choice by the end. But Roberto Mancini's just gone to Zenit and is obviously on a, a, an absolute ton of cash there. Brendan Rodgers um, and kind of the like have all been linked as well. But you just can't see where there's a good marriage there between a manager who could legitimately take the job, those at the front of the market, your Coleman's, Daesh, etc., and matching that with the name that the owners want. So mm. I'm I'm as clueless as the next guy at the moment. You know, it, it's going to be a genuine surprise, I think, whoever gets it, because I really don't think we'll necessarily, certainly not our first choice, would be someone like Daesh or, or Coleman. I think we'll look for a bigger name, and then it might just be a case of if we go through our first three or four high-profile candidates and they knock us back, and it's kind of getting to the point where we're like, okay, need a manager now at least just to get us through to the end of the season, we might then start looking at candidates who are, are, are a bit more realistic. But again, I think that's that's a long way to potentially end up in a similar situation to where we were a week ago. Yeah. I, I think an interesting option for kind of the middle of, of those two could be Thomas Tuchel, who used to be at uh, Dortmund. He's far, too, he's far too big of a name, isn't he? Do you think? I think so. I don't think he's... I think if he was... I think if he waits six months, he gets a lot bigger job than Leicester. Uh, th- I do think that that is probably true. But, I mean, we saw the <clears> same <throat> thing with Klopp, in theory. Yeah. Um, yeah, where he, he, he decided he, he liked the club and, and moved in early, but, although there had been a lot of reports of how much he liked Liverpool before then. But, yeah, and like uh, managing Liverpool, especially for someone like Klopp coming from Dortmund and the kinship there is there, like Liverpool are a historically very successful, massive brand of a club. Whereas that's the kind of club we are aspiring to be. We don't have that yet. So unless we can convince someone of a Tuchel kind of ilk to, you know, that this is a club that's a project, mm. not in the same way that Liverpool's a project because Liverpool are con- competing as a title-challenging team. We are nowhere near that level and we want to kind of be on the rung below that on the ladder. Um, and even then, there's no guarantee. You know, look at what Everton are going through this year they potentially tried to get themselves onto that rung of the ladder or at least sustain their, their place on that ladder. And they're really struggling. Um, and, you know, 12 months ago or 18 months ago, when um, Luis Enrique handed his, his resignation in a Barcelona and people were talking about Koeman being the next Barcelona manager. Yeah. Um, and now he's clinging on for dear life, seemingly, at Everton. So things can change very quickly. Um, I just don't, I, I maybe it's just a bit of a pessimism on my side, but, I don't wholeheartedly believe, you know, we're an attractive enough proposition to a manager of that ilk to kind of get them to come in and take the reins. Fair enough. Well, hopefully you find somebody good and somewhat quickly um, before uh, what is kind of a a relatively kind run of fixtures uh, that could make whoever you bring in look pretty good from the jump. Um, Thank you so much uh, for coming on here. Anything you'd like to plug or tell people where they can reach you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jim Knight 88 if you want to tell me how wrong I am um, about anything that I've just said. Um, I do, as Kev's already said, I work for Goal.com and Sockaway.com as is kind of under the perform umbrella. So if you like betting on football, um, previews and, and kind of analysis from a, for a stats-based angle, then either one of those is probably a good place to start if you want to kind of look at something different. Terrific. Well, thanks again for coming on and best of luck to Lester through the rest of the season. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.